Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. What are the common conditions that affect the use of our hands? One of the things that's the most important is when you need to do activities, we all use our hands all day long. Not having adequate use of the hands, that can really cause a problem with anything that you do. Well, today we're going to learn more about what those conditions are and what to do about it. Dr. Sam Chen is here in the studio. He has been an orthopedic hand specialist for 15 years now from Orthopedics Hawaii, and we're going to talk a little bit about what are these common conditions and how can we treat them, what are some simple home remedies we can do, and when do we know we need to see an expert like he. All right, thank you for joining me today in the studio. Thank you for having me. So 15 years of dealing with hands now. That's a long time, and there's a lot of problems that can go on with the hands. What are the most common conditions that you see in your office? Uh, carpal tunnel, trigger finger, arthritis. Those three things make up probably the vast majority of, of any regular day and what I see. Well, let's talk about them one at a time. Let's talk about carpal tunnel. Now, a lot of times people used to think it only happened if you're on the computer and if you're typing a lot, but... There's actually a lot of different ways that people use their hands repetitively that could put them at risk for this. How would you describe carpal tunnel symptoms? Uh, the most common symptoms that people come to me with is numbness and pain. And then when I ask them about the pain, usually they'll describe not the achy pain of arthritis, but more like burning or pins and needles or something that's not uh, your classic knee or shoulder or elbow type or, uh, pain that they're used to. Now, when they come in and they describe these symptoms, are there some home remedies they might have already tried that they should, if they haven't tried, they should start doing? Uh, a lot of them have already tried anti-inflammatories. And with the internet, um, it's pretty quick, um, for, pretty quick and easy for them to figure out its carpal tunnel. And with that, uh, a lot of them have already bought a brace and they're wearing a brace, which is perfect. You know, the simple, um, and in orthopedics, I call it our drawer, one of our toolbox, where uh, we like the simple, easy things, anti-inflammatories, bracing, rest, ice, um, therapy, you know, those are all the level one things. And carpal tunnel applies to the same thing. So when we talk about a brace, is any brace that says carpal tunnel pretty good? Does it have to have, like the old ones had a metal piece mm -hmm. and you really couldn't flex or extend your hand very much? Is that kind of the goal that you're trying not to overuse your wrist? Uh, exactly. So, so the idea is this, is that when you flex your wrist, if you imagine when a cat or dog uh, falls asleep, they kind of curl up. You know, everyone can imagine that picture. Humans are the same where once we fall asleep, we kind of lose control and we naturally flex our wrists and we curl up in a comfortable position. Um, but if you were to look inside your wrist, what you would see is the tunnel of where the nerve goes into tightens up when you get in that position. So it's a common thing you'll see patients say that, you know, I woke up in the middle of the night and I had these symptoms, and it's because they put their uh, wrists and their hands in a position that, that puts pressure on the nerve. So the best brace is just one that uh, is, one, comfortable. That's most important. And two, it just stops you from flexing your wrist, whether there's metal or plastic, whether it's uh, big or small, it, it doesn't really matter. The whole goal is to stop you from flexing your wrist. Now, you mentioned some people wake up in the middle of the night and feel it. So technically, they should wear the brace when they go to sleep. So they're not one of those people that curls up and puts that extra pressure on the nerve. Exactly. Yeah, that's really the purpose of it. And it's such a simple thing that works really well uh, at, with early carpal tunnel. How long does it take to work? Um, if, if it does work, then they'll notice pretty quickly that they have a better night's sleep. 
Uh, what's unpredictable is, is it going to help forever or is it going to help for a week or a month? Um, and it, there, there's no way to predict based on anything we know uh, who's going to benefit. You know, it's. Does everybody have to have like a nerve study done? Like in order to find out if you have mild carpal tunnel, maybe you've tried wearing the brace, you've taken the anti-inflammatories, the Advil, ibuprofen, Aleve, whatever one you choose. Do you have to do a nerve study to find out mild, moderate, or severe? Or is that something that you could tell when you see someone in the office? Yeah, the, like anything in medicine, um, diagnosis really hinges upon listening to someone, a good history, and a good physical exam. Um, I'm sure in your practice you feel the same way. The labs, the x-rays, the imaging, that's almost as a supplement to, to kind of um, validate what you already know. Um, but to diagnose carpal tunnel, you don't have to have the nerve conduction study. Really, it's a good history and an exam. But most of the time, it gives you a good idea. Um, but the nerve study is helpful, not just to confirm, but it gives you a feeling if, um, if it's progressed. If you're worried about permanent nerve damage or other things, um, it's a good third thing to do to have a better idea of what's going on. Now, if somebody gets better using the anti-inflammatories, maybe adjusting their activities, wearing the brace, Maybe they don't have to go any further. What are the other ways that we treat this if they don't get better with that? When do we start considering therapy and injections and even surgery? Uh, I, I call it the, like the orthopedic treatment ladder. Uh, the, the philosophy in orthopedics is we want the best outcome in the least invasive way possible. Um, so level one would be like a brace, uh, changing your activity. Uh, one thing that people don't realize is uh, nerves don't like any sort of vibration. So those, those uh, jobs or activities that, um, something like using a lawnmower, riding a Harley Davidson, you know, where it vibrates the, the hands a lot, that aggravates it. So those simple things by modifying your activity, it's a lot of education, wearing a brace, that's level one. Um, but if it persists, the next thing you could try, uh, there's, there's two, one would be a hand therapist. So there's something called nerve gliding exercises that help some people. Um, the other thing would be a steroid injection. So a steroid doesn't necessarily cure the underlying problem, but it's basically a strong anti-inflammatory, you know, for, for our listeners. And that strong anti-inflammatory calms down the nerves uh, and a lot of times it alleviates the symptoms. But you can't keep going back and doing all the things that started it. Um, it's like a gray area. Some people can and they're okay. Vast majority, when they try to, the symptoms eventually catch up to them. And it's not really us, the doctors, saying what you can and can't do. The symptoms themselves stop people from wanting to continue. Yeah, your body will tell you if yeah. you shouldn't do that again. Yeah. All right. And then if you do something like a steroid injection and it doesn't help you to resolve the symptoms or they keep coming back, what would be the time duration at which you would want to consider a surgery for this? Um, so, so there's a couple of what I call red flags. When your numbness is becoming constant throughout the day, uh, or when you wake up every single night with pain. Um, th those are the red flags that you're starting to worry about the nerve damage being more on the permanent side. Um, you know, kind of briefly talking about surgery, the purpose of surgery really is to stop, uh, to stop the nerve damage from progressing. That's the true purpose and save what you have left. So knowing that's the purpose, we don't want to do it too early. Otherwise, we're doing surgery on half of Hawaii. That's way too aggressive. But on the other hand, we don't want to wait until it's so bad that we're confident it's severe because then there's nothing to recover. So it's, I call it the Goldilocks solution. So you don't want it too hot or too cold. You want to do it just at the right time when it's probably the right treatment, but also 
um, you still have the potential to recover uh, a lot of the nerve damage. The Goldilocks treatment. All right. Well, that's something only you could you could provide for us, knowing that difference surgically versus medically. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Sam Chen from Orthopedics Hawaii and talk about some other common conditions that happen. Do you ever notice trigger finger when your finger doesn't completely extend again? Well, we're going to talk about it. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I'm here with Dr. Sam Chen. He's from Orthopedics Hawaii. He's been an orthopedic hand specialist for over a decade and a half now. And right before the break, we were talking a little bit about carpal tunnel, how do you know it's bad enough to need a surgery? And that's when you still have some nerve function that you can recover. That doesn't always happen to be the case if you wait too late. There's a couple of other conditions you mentioned are pretty common. Trigger finger, you know, we get that from the idea that some of the fingers that get involved would be ones you would potentially use if you were holding a trigger of some type. What is the source of trigger finger and why does that sort of happen and start to give people a lot of troubles with movement of their hands? Yeah, trigger finger is a, it's basically a tendonitis. You know, people are familiar with tendonitis of their elbow and tendonitis of their knee, um, but it can happen in the hand too. So our, our hand is pretty basic. On the top side of our hand where the fingernails are, those are all the cables and tendons that let you straighten out your fingers. And then on the palm side of your hand are all the cables that let you bend your fingers. Um, if you were to look inside each finger, you'd see something that looks like a plastic McDonald's straw. And it's very basic where uh, the muscles pull these cables that run through, these, um, through the straw uh, and the tip of your finger bends. Well, the start of the, the, start of the straw is right in the middle of your palm. And um, normally you don't notice anything because everything works perfectly. But if there's any overuse or anything that causes a little extra inflammation or friction, what you feel is that cable starts rubbing against the front end of the straw, and then you get a knot there. You know, no different than um, if someone were to poke you in the eye too many times and you get a little red, you know, swollen area in your eye. And then what happens is that knot on the cable is too big to fit in the straw. And then so when you try to bend your finger, now you have like a six millimeter knot trying to fit into a four millimeter you know, diameter of a straw, and then you'll feel pain, stiffness. And if you, if you do it strong enough, if you forcefully try to flex, that knot will get stuck in the tunnel, and that's the click that our patients will feel. You know, they'll think it's their joint clicking, but it's not the joint, it's really this knot on the tendon getting stuck inside the straw. So what do you do if the knot gets too, gets too big, it can't get in the straw? How do you take care of that? Yeah, the, the, probably one of the first things is trying to figure out how long it's been going on and why. Um, you know, in, in your practice, Dr. Kozak, you know, uh, diabetes is something that we all kind of see a lot of. It's probably one of the top things in, in any practice um, or any, any, any medical problem that, for our patients. Um, and diabetes is a problem of high blood sugar. So what I explain to patients is, you know, if you, if you drop in one packet of sugar in a cup and stir it, it dissolves. But if you put two, three, four, five packets, you start seeing crystals appear, you know, in the bottom of the cup. So in our, in our medical lingo, we call that glycosylation. And if you put too many little sugar crystals, even if they're microscopic on the tendon, you can imagine now there's too much friction. And these little sugar crystals cause problems 
throughout the whole body, not just my world. In this case, um, trigger fingers are strongly associated with diabetes. So that's usually something I ask them about. What's their blood sugar control? What's their A1C? And sometimes controlling that along with something like therapy or activity modification is the right way to go. Um, so, so just like uh, we were talking about the carpal tunnel, we always want the best solution in the easiest way possible. Um, so controlling your blood sugar, watching your activities, try to minimize overuse, sometimes therapy or splinting. That's usually what we go for as, as the first level of treatment for it. How often is that successful for trigger finger? Um, for in, in my world, it's not that successful because by the time patients get to me, they've already seen you or your colleagues. And so it means it's already kind of on a level two. It's already kind of bad. Um, and the second kind of level of treatment for, for me is trying a steroid injection, just like a carpal tunnel. Except there's one catch to it, which is that uh, we know from lots of studies and history that if a patient has diabetes or even just a high A1C, the steroid injection is less likely to be effective for the trigger finger cure. So that's something I'm very careful to explain. You know, I, I don't want to talk about surgery. I want to do something more than what the primary care doctors wanted to do, and that's usually an injection, but it's almost a catch-22. They're coming to me because it's bad, and the second-tier treatment a lot of times isn't that effective um, for those patients. So then what do you do? Uh, then I have a discussion, you know, and, and it's just like anything uh, that I do. I, I explain what's going on, and I lay out the options, and there's really three main options in a nutshell. It's uh, therapy, rest, activity modification. Uh, second tier would be a steroid injection, and unfortunately, there's a huge gap. After injection, there's really nothing that's reliable until you talk about surgery. Um, so I just kind of explain what the probability of success is with each of those options. And then the way I, I guide them is if it really bothers you and you've tried everything uh, and you just can't live with it, then you're skewing towards the more aggressive option. If it's something that you can live with and you have time, um, then try one of the e easier things first. Um, and so really I view myself kind of like a tour guide in this and explaining what it is and trying to figure out what they want. And if you were to do surgery, it's actually more in the palm than it is in the finger itself. Correct, yeah. The, the start of that straw, that kind of straw that I was talking about um, of the finger, it really starts in your palm. And if you imagine a straw being um, 100 yards, what we do in surgery is we just take that first 20% of the straw and we just open it up. Um, if you do that, that painful knot no longer has anything to rub against, and then you're cured pretty instantly. And we know that if you only cut that first 20%, nothing bad happens. You do need the straw, but you don't need 100% of the straw. Um, so that's kind of the, the standard basic treatment for trigger finger that's existed for five, six decades now. So you don't do more than 20%. You don't want to cut the whole straw. You want to just cut enough to give that mobility. Correct. If you were to actually cut the whole straw or, or even half the straw, what you would see is it destabilized the tendon. That straw is there for a purpose to give you very strong uh, grasp. So if you imagine sports like baseball, golf, tennis, pickleball, that really strong grasp is what you have to have. Um, and once you destabilize it by 40 50%, you no longer have that stability, and then it bothers people. They can't do all the activities that they love to do. All right. Now, what about standard arthritis of the hands? I'll see a lot of folks, they'll come in and you can see sort of their, their distal joint. I call it a little DIP or dip joint. Yep. The very distal or the, the 
part of the tip of the finger, they start to feel some nodules on it. Maybe it starts to turn in a different direction. They might also see that on the proximal joint that they have there, maybe even also on the knuckle. These are arthritis changes that are going to happen to anybody who's lucky enough to live long enough, but they often bother people not just cosmetically, but sometimes also functionally. Mm -hmm. What can they do when they have this sort of problem start? Yeah, so um, in a nutshell, there's basically two big categories of arthritis that we talk about. The most common that almost every uh, all of my patients and prior patients have is osteoarthritis. And the way I describe that to patients is you're born with 100,000 mile tires. At some point, you get 50, 60, 70,000 miles of wear, and that's a very normal thing. And sometimes some people are born with 80,000 mile tires, some people are born with 120,000 mile tires. Um, and if it's that kind, then the, the easiest thing to do, um, other than you know, anti inflammatories, the basic things, is um, just immobilize it. So something as simple as Coban, which is this um, kind of sticky, stretchy, um, tape-like thing that a lot of ath uh, athletes will use. You tape it, it limits the mobility a little bit, not totally, and it gives them some comfort, gives them compression, and that's good enough for a vast majority of my patients. Um, I also have patients who do something like work down at Pearl Harbor or construction, and they're a lot, they have a lot more heavy-duty use of it. And that's when I sent them to our, our hand therapist. Uh, so at, at Straub, there's a, a great team that I've relied on for years, and they make um, custom splints, kind of like a ring that fits on, and it kind of gives them some comfort and mobilizes their joint, and it also protects it from them banging against something. So these are just simple things that work for uh, basic osteoarthritis. Because we don't really have the ability to replace finger joints. I mean, I guess technically... Maybe there's some advancement that they could, but that's not really a common surgery that we see. Yeah, yeah. so for, for distal, um, the DIP joints, meaning the joint that's closer to your fingernail, they have been invented, but they fall apart very quickly. So, so it's not a very good surgery. It's not a surgery like knee or hip replacements that are known to last 10, 20 years. Um, the, the joint that's in between that one and your knuckle, though, we do do uh, joint replacement for. That's much more reliable. The, the average life of it is somewhere around 10 years, um, but it's much less common to have arthritis of that joint, so it's not a common thing that we see. All right, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk some more about common situations that affect our hands, which are critically important for us doing all the activities of our everyday. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Honolulu Waldorf School and Nohea Gallery. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Dr. Sam Chen. He's from Orthopedics Hawaii. He's been a shoulder, actually a hand specialist in orthopedics for the last 15 years. And we're talking today about common, common things that can occur to your hands. Carpal tunnel syndrome at the top of the show, trigger finger, osteoarthritis. Now, there are some other unique things that can happen to the hand that require someone with your level of expertise. So anytime somebody has an injury, you know, sometimes people are getting a little too aggressive with some of their home improvement projects and they cut a tendon or they have a serious problem with a major injury to their hand. What are some of the things that people should do on their own before they even head to the ER to make sure that they're doing the right thing? Um, that is a, that is a excellent and big 
question. Um, anytime there's an injury, so so a common thing with the holidays coming up, um, it, anytime they're doing something, they have an injury, um, if the pain is atypical, you know, most people are used to sprains and injuries, but if something just hurts more than they're used to, or if it doesn't work like they're used to, then I think it's a good time to um, be seen. For for vast majority of hand things, it really doesn't warrant going to the emergency room. You know, seeing their primary care doctor, um, their, their primary care doctor has probably seen it thousands of times already. And so it's a good kind of triage to see, okay, how bad this might be. Um, if there's an injury, a lot of times an x-ray is uh, something that we obtain just to see if there's something broken. It's a, it's a really simple thing to do. Uh, that's usually guided by our our uh, primary care team, um, and that's level one is just trying to understand um, how bad it is, and if they're not sure, make sure that they're seen uh, in a relatively timely fashion. So, if it hurts more in an atypical fashion, and if you can't do what you used to do with it, then go see your primary care doctor. Yeah. If it's bleeding profusely, well, now maybe that might be a time yeah. to go to the emergency room. What a, do you see people who who cut off like tips of their fingers? Quite a bit. So so more often than I would expect, I suppose. Yeah, ho holiday times there's a lot of cutting something, uh, be it scissors or or a knife. Um, a lot of you know people are usually on holiday or they're they're not working, and then for the after college crowd, it's time to do things like play sports, basketball, football, things that they probably haven't done commonly. Um, and that causes a lot of things like what we call mallet finger and injuries that they, um, hand injuries that they have that um, they probably wouldn't have when they were younger. So if you get something like that, let's say you have a non-knife related injury and you sort of jammed your finger and it seems like it's painful, you lost function, you can't bend it so much, mm -hmm. but you know it's obviously not so bad you have to go rushing to an ER. You do an x-ray, it doesn't show any fracture. How long should something like that take to, to heal? A rough, a rough time would be a week. If it is not close to normal within a week, it's a, it's a time to get seen. Um, w without getting into uh, the details, there's a couple injuries. One we call a boutonniere injury, another is called a mallet injury. And in essence, these two injuries are basically tears of the tendon. And these tears don't heal unless you start the right treatment. It's not surgery, but it's um, a very specific type of splinting and bracing. And if you don't get this done, then you could have uh, long-term pain and stiffness that doesn't resolve um, even with the right type of treatment. So uh, a common situation with, with patients is they'll think they jammed a finger and they give it time, but rather than one week, it's more like a month or two, and then they see me. And two months with uh, one of these types of injuries is a really long time. And now you're starting to get to the point where you may not have an easy fix. You know, it may, not, it may no longer be a month of simple splinting and then you're back to normal. Um, so if it's past a week and you've had an injury and it just doesn't feel normal, I would say it's time. It's time to be seen, whether it's an urgent care, your primary care doctor, um, uh, if you can get an appointment with an orthopedist, that'd be ideal. Um, but it's time to be seen if it's past a week. Well, and you talk about these special splints, and that may not be something everybody knows how to do. Correct. Yeah. So so for these injuries, um, splinting is usually, in, in Hawaii, it's handled by our occupational therapists more, the, most oftenly. Um, we're lucky that we have 
several big groups of occupational therapists that really focus on hand therapy um, in Hawaii. You know, there's there's two there's two big um, places in in Honolulu. One is at Straub, the other is Hawaii Hand and Rehab, and they both do an excellent job taking care of these type of things. So hopefully people recover from that. What about the types of injuries where they do have that, you know, you can almost see a glistening tendon in wherever they cut their thumb or their index finger, something they were doing with chopping. Those sorts of things, when you can see an exposed tendon, you don't just wrap that up and say, oh, I'll go get checked out tomorrow, do you? Uh, in, in that situation, it probably does warrant going to the emergency room, you know, or urgent care, but uh, no one would... It would not be overkill to go to the emergency room when you see exposed tendon or anything like that because it's hard to know what else is going on. You know, there's there's a lot of other injuries too. The nerve, the tendon, the joint, um, now you're at a much higher risk for infection. That's when it's a good time to just go to the emergency room and be seen. Get it checked out. And then that's where someone would, if they needed to, they would contact you. They would set you up to see the, the individual in the next couple of days or so or whenever that time was appropriate so that you could check it out. Correct, yeah. The emergency room does a good job deciding does someone need to be admitted to the hospital for truly emergent surgery, which does happen, or is it time to try to arrange very, very what we call emergent follow-up, meaning being seen the next day or the day after. So there's a lot of things that can go wrong with the hands. Are there any tips and tricks on ways that people can strengthen their hands to make sure that they don't have these types of injuries, what can we do to prevent them? Um, so the, the, one of the most common things we see with hand injuries are, are the sports injuries. You know, playing sports, and then be it uh, basketball, football, something jams their, their hand, their finger. Um, so just being good with technique, you know, is a really common thing. Um, with regards to, you know, we're, we're in the holidays now, uh, I unfortunately see a lot of knife, scissor, uh, you know, holiday home improvement type injuries. And I think common sense is really uh, quite kind of cliche, easy to say, but um, really important. So, um, you know, with YouTube, a lot of people think they can do their own home improvement, auto work. You know, it's time to do things that they've never done before. Uh, and it's really easy to go to Home Depot, Lowe's, get something. But unfortunately, saws and the hands just, they don't get That's along. That's not a good match. It's not a good match, especially for someone who doesn't do that frequently. Uh, so like I said, just kind of like being street smart about what you do, uh, not taking on something that has a high risk of problems. Yeah, I'm lucky that I have zero uh, ability or a need to attempt home improvement. But I do know that sometimes it seems so easy. Hey, that looks simple. I want to try it. And, you know, people can get into all sorts of troubles with that kind of circumstance. And so, like you mentioned, if it's if it's a huge, serious injury, go get it checked out immediately. ER, if there's some major blood loss, if it's something minor, you could go to urgent care, see your primary care doctor. But don't let things go for weeks and weeks at a time if you've lost a level of function. Like you mentioned with some of those particularly hand injuries, you're not going to suddenly get the function of the hand back if it's been four weeks. makes yeah. it a lot more difficult. And maybe you can't repair it the way people wanted it to be, which is exactly perfectly to where it was before the injury. Now, we've talked a little bit about carpal tunnel, trigger finger, arthritis. These are some pretty common things that happen in the hand. It sounds like for the most part, 
you know, as an orthopedist, your goal is to do do the conservative basic stuff and only go to surgery if somebody absolutely has to because you've tried all the other treatments in general. That's right. Um, you know, I, I tell my patients the best visit with me is a really boring visit. You know, there's nothing I want to do. I'm not excited. Well, you have not been a boring guest, I'll tell you that much. I really appreciate you sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. Dr. Sam Chen is an orthopedic hand specialist of over 15 years of experience at Orthopedics Hawaii. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. Our engineer is David Chung. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and we'll see you every Monday right here on The Body Show talking about ways to stay healthy and keep yourself going now and into the new year. We'll see you next week.